Hey there, welcome to episode number one of the Stormy Medic podcast. I started this podcast as my own passion project. My partners and my students were pretty consistently telling me that I should consider starting a podcast. So here we are. Um, it's been about a year, year and a half of imposter syndrome research, recording, scrapping the entire podcast and starting all over repeatedly that's led to this moment. Uh, overall, I'm just really glad to be here and I'm glad that you're here too. Currently, I am employed as a paramedic in a very busy metropolitan area with a large surrounding rural response area. Just like all of y'all, my calls vary widely from one moment to the next. My system particularly is one of the busiest systems in the nation and I love it. I have the same kind of speech that I tell everybody at the beginning of all of our shifts and that is as long as there's two rules for my ambulance, I'm not too picky. Just don't be a jackass and don't be a dumbass. As long as you don't fit in either one of those categories, we're going to go along just fine. In the grand scheme of things, I'm still considered relatively new to the field of EMS. But for me, at least, I think a lot of it is, it's your experience in your years and not your years of experience. In this podcast specifically, you're going to hear a lot of educational content and some of my own personal beliefs as always, I want you to do your own research. Feel free to disagree and always remember to follow your local protocols. We're going to cover BLS, ALS, and critical care scenarios and treatments here. I do believe in including BLS providers, EMT basics as much as possible. I teach both EMTs and paramedics. I tutor students as they approach national registry. So we'll cover a very wide range of topics from treatment to study tips to national registry prep, things like that. If you want more of that content specifically, head over to the Instagram page. A lot of that content will be posted there first, and then we'll cover it in episodes farther down the line. I have some guests that I'm getting lined up and working on that specific side of things for registry and things like that. So that'll definitely be released first on the Instagram. I will definitely climb on a soapbox every once in a while, but it will always be for a good reason. You'll hear me preach about BLS before ALS and inspiring and not contaminating new hires and EMT students that are coming into this field bright-eyed with the grand notion that they're going to save people. I had a very bad experience, which we'll cover in a future episode, when I was starting out. And if it weren't for some of the better healthcare providers that I've had the blessings of working with, I would not still be in this field. So I'm very firm in my belief that we have to take care of our new hires and our baby basics to make sure that they want to stick around. This field is better when we have EMTs that are here for a little while instead of having a two-month turnaround with them. I'm not sorry that we're going to cover a lot of that. Um, I think that it's super, super important I also believe that EMS is a team-based environment. So we're going to talk a lot about team dynamics, um, personal attitudes and beliefs and how they affect our teammates and how we can improve our own thought processes to be better providers. We're going to talk a lot about specific population groups that we deal with and how to better interact with them so that we can all be better providers at the end of the day. We're going to cuss, we're going to cry, but most importantly, we're going to learn and support each other. My goals for this podcast are community, education, and inspiration. Don't get me wrong, though. I'm not a bakery. Please don't expect me to sugarcoat shit. And if this isn't for you, no hard feelings. 
like I said earlier, we've got some really great guests lined up as the week go on weeks as the weeks go on. So follow along on Instagram. I'm going to share teasers for every episode up there. And there's a link to the email address for the podcast where you are going to be able to send in stories, suggestions, and feedback on every episode. I don't think that I can be out here offering my opinions on certain things as you're sending in stories and scenarios if I'm not willing to receive feedback too. So please feel free. Now with all that awkward introduction stuff out of the way, um, let's get into the real content, okay? Um, I think there's a lot that people don't tell you when you're starting an EMS. So today is just going to be kind of cut and dry. It's going to be a list that my colleagues, friends, and I have compiled over the past few months of things we wish we would have really understood better before we got into EMS. Most of these will be turned into future episodes that'll be full length. I have some really great guests for each and every one of these topics, actually. So diving right in, starting off the list really strong here is that working in this field is only going to be as good as you make it. Oh my gosh, this is so huge. And it's really all encompassing. A lot of working in pre-hospital medicine and being successful will boil down to your self-discipline, both in the sense that you have to continue to show up, but you also have to educate yourself and always be a student willing to accept criticism. So you know, it rolls right into the second one on the list here that there aren't actually a lot of promotion opportunities, but you have to make this field what you want it to be. And if you want that promotion, you're going to have to actually work for it and be prepared because there isn't a lot of turnover in the upper layers of EMS, at least not in my area. I don't know what it's like farther out um, and further east, but there aren't a lot of promotion opportunities. So for me personally, I've been having to do a lot of research and a lot of self-study, a lot of education that I pay for on my own, out of my own pocket, just so that that way when those opportunities come, I will be prepared. And the next one on the list is it's not personal. Oh my God. Everybody needs, I think no matter what career you're in, you have to realize this. It is not personal. Don't take it personal. Not everyone can be saved and sometimes protocols, technology, etc., are just not on your side. Number four, your work-home life balance is going to be crucial. It does you zero benefit to work overtime to help pay for that house if you're not fucking enjoying it. And number five ties in with number four here. Your coping mechanisms are important. Find healthy ones. I am looking at you, night shifters. Caffeine, nicotine, and no sleep are not coping mechanisms. (laughs) But, you know, utilize your EAP if you need it. Find a good therapist. Do whatever it takes. Exercise. Get yourself sunlight. Again, night shifters. Vitamin D is important. Number six. This one sucks. I hate this one. This one's my own personal one that I really wish somebody would have drilled into me because it's a hot button topic for myself personally. It's definitely kind of a trigger for me. Um, You will be filing more APS reports than you think you could have ever could have imagined. It's insanely frustrating and sad, but what I have learned is that you're going to file them and the best way to get through it is to file them like it was your loved one that depends on your report, pulling them from a shitty situation. Yes, at that point, it pulls more emotion into it for you and it makes it a little bit harder to get past, but this is somebody's life that is counting on you. You have to help them the best that you can. Put yourself into their shoes. Or think about your own family member. Family on scene, number seven here. 
Family can be excellent historians or they're going to make you want to rip your hair out by the goddamn follicle. Learn how to communicate with the poor historians clearly. Patient history is so vital. And sometimes when people are stressed in one of these situations, they can't remember things that they obviously know. So finding another way to word your questions without being an asshole, (laughs) I cannot stress that one enough, is going to be very important. Repeating the same question in a different tone is probably not going to get you a different answer. And also the same goes for um, nursing facility nurses and CNAs. Number eight, the non-emergent calls. Holy hell, there's a lot of non-emergent calls. So many of us got into this field and we thought that we were going to be out there going lights and sirens and saving lives all the time, every single call. When in all reality, a lot of it is picking naked Mima up. But just remember that just because it's not an emergency to you does not mean it isn't an emergency to them. Pain sucks. These people called you for a reason and they've invited you into their lives. Just because it's not a wee-woo lights and sirens emergency does not mean that these people deserve to be treated any differently. They still deserve kindness. Number nine ties in with personal lives here. It's going to be how your non-healthcare family, friends, and significant others look at you when you talk about work. (laughs) Yeah, people don't want to know where our trauma shares have been, I've realized. I cannot tell you how many times I've shown up in uniform after a shift or like on my way to a shift to a social event, like a kid's birthday party or something, and I've just been dropping off a gift to head before I head home or head into work. And somebody will be like, oh, I need scissors. And then I'm like, oh, wait, I've got some. Wait, no, I don't. You don't want to know where those have been, and you definitely don't want them cutting the ribbon on your kid's birthday gift. The exhaustion is also a huge one. This is number 10 on the list. Like, It goes back in with coping mechanisms too, you know, just because you're exhausted does not mean that you should be supplying your life, your vital life forces with <laughs> caffeine, adrenaline, and nicotine, right? You can only survive like that for so long. Being on for 12 hours is exhausting. It really is. I mean, well, and some of us have to be on for like 48 hours at a time. And having to talk to people constantly, having to deal with those crazy bystanders, having to deal with other healthcare providers and non-healthcare providers. It's just, it's exhausting. Everything that we do when we have to do it for 12 plus hours a day, it wears on you. Shit will come home with you. This is number 12. Even if you think it won't or that it's not going to, I mean, it might not until it does. Your coping mechanisms are either going to save you and your relationships or kill you. Learn this, and I cannot stress this enough. You need to seek help before you're burnt out because it can take years to cure burnout. Years. So just be careful. If you feel yourself getting more irritated with patients or your partners or just your job in general, take the vacation time. Take it before it gets worse. Number 13, the power of working with good people and the power of being that person. There is no better reward, I think, than getting to the end of your first shift with somebody and having them be like, oh, this is going to be a great schedule. I'm so excited to keep working with you, right? Working eight to 12 hours and having, you know, 14 calls with somebody can be absolutely exhausting just because of what we have to deal with. But sometimes if you have a really great partner, 
you're able to leave that shift feeling super refreshed and fantastic and ready to take on the next day. So remember that and be that person for other people. Dealing with death, number 14 on this list, so many of us don't even have a script. We don't have a class that we get to take. We don't have any policies and procedures that teach us how to do this. No one, and I mean absolutely no one, ever told me what to say when somebody dies. Think about that. You are walking into a room as a baby paramedic for the very first time, and now you have to tell somebody that their loved one is dead. You know, Emergency Resilience, she covers, she has a whole death notification course that I highly recommend. I will be talking about death notifications and my own personal experience and what I personally say. I won't be covering and reusing her material at all, but she does have a brilliant whole list, pamphlet, information, videos, et cetera, on what to say, how to act, where to look, how to feel, et cetera, when you do death notifications. So if you want to look at that before we actually cover this here on the Stormy Medic podcast, go check out her stuff. 10 out of 10, highly recommend. It's hard to tell somebody that their family member is dead, but we have to remember that once we have pronounced time of death, the deceased patient is no longer our patient. The living are. So how we do things and how we act are very, very important. It will be remembered for the rest of those people's lives. We may not always remember it, but they will. Death and birth are the two most sacred things in most cultures, and we are invited into people's lives on a regular basis surrounding both death and birth. We need to treat it like an honor. Number 15, the amount of hoarding situations you will see. This one can kind of go in with APS reports a lot. I think that most of the APS reports I've filed have had to have dealt with a lot of hoarding situations or just unsafe living situations and things like that. Thankfully, they haven't been a lot of abuse related, but hoarding specifically, to get back on track here, you could watch every episode of Hoarders forwards, backwards, and twice on a fucking Sunday, and you will still not be able to fully wrap your head around the hordes you are going to see when you walk into some of these situations. I have a friend who's coming on a couple episodes from now, and he was with me when he was actually my partner when we had a cardiac arrest in a hoarder house and we knelt down in some sort of deceased animal that had been forgotten for who knows how long. But that's the reality of these hoarding situations and it's sights, it smells, it sounds, it's a lack of light. You are now working in triple the amount of hazards. It's, it's unbelievable I grew up in a hoarding kind of situation. My mom never managed to really teach me how to clean. I kept things pretty clean for myself, but she just, especially after I moved out at 16, she went full hoarder status. It took four people four days to clean out, four eight-hour days, four people to clean out an 850-square-foot house. That's how bad it was. And you never can be prepared for that until you walk into this field, until you see it in person. 16, 
the amount of drug addicts and the amount of drugs you actually will see. Now this, for some of you, you may not see this on as regular of a basis as I do, but I had never seen any type of illicit substance. Oh, I take that back. I probably had seen cocaine, but I think I saw it once before I got into this field. And I remember now the first time I ever saw like a meth pipe and falling out of a patient's pocket as he got on the gurney and, you know, you see a baggie and you see a rock on the table and it's like, what the fuck am I looking at, dude? And now it's almost a daily occurrence. Nothing prepared me for the amount of times I would see drugs and at number 17, the smells, <laughs> the smells and the sounds. Oh my goodness. I think those are worse than what you see, to be honest. It's, oh yeah. <laughs> From like double dragon GI bleeds to UTIs, C. diff, burns, the Horner houses. I mean, even just the screams getting yelled at sometimes is another sound that kind of gets burned into your mind. No one prepares you for that. And I don't think there is anything that actually could prepare you for that. I think that's something you just have to experience for yourself and use that as a guideline to see if you can actually tolerate staying in this field because it's intense sometimes. 18, how effing panicky people get when they're short of breath. Whew. Yeah, no, nothing can make even the most seasoned providers asshole pucker faster than somebody who is extremely short of breath. I remember my first really short of breath patient and this was back when I was baby basic and I looked at my partner and I was like, what do we do? And he was like, he looked at her and he just said, hey, have you ever been intubated? And she's like, yeah. And she holds up her fingers and she is flashing four fingers in the air. And then her husband who was behind her just looks at us and goes, yeah, last month being the most recent time, she was just like this. Like, all right, let's get going. <laughs> it is so terrifying. And those poor patients are terrified themselves because there's probably no worse feeling than feeling like you're starved for air. Number 19, you're going to learn how strong you are, both physically and mentally. You definitely will. And there is no harm in admitting when you are not strong. Just want to throw that out there too. 20, the crusty, salty old fucks. Ooh, they suck. They really do. But do your best to treat them with respect and just do your best while working with them. And don't be afraid to stand up for yourself in a respectful manner if it gets to that point. I think a lot of times these crusty, salty old fucks are just crusty and salty because nobody has the courage to provide them respectful feedback that says, hey, you're crossing a line. Please don't talk to me like that. 21, and the last one on this list for the day, you will never run out of opportunities to say, oh, wow, just when I thought I'd seen it all. Or this may be the dumbest shit I have ever heard. It's so true. I said to my partner the other day after a call, I said, you know, I speak two languages and neither one of them is stupid. It's true. Sometimes we just have those days, right? Where it's difficult communicating with everybody or where everybody is doing stupid stuff. Maybe it's the full moon. Who knows? But in this job, you will never run out of ways to be surprised. I can tell you that for sure. That's going to wrap it up for today's episode. Thank you so much for being here. Next week, we're going to dive into some crazy story time and a little bit more q and I'll have a special guest with us and we will see you then. Thanks so much for being here.